Hi, I'm Mitchell, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. So if we haven't met, my name is Todd, and I'm starting the talk in the box um, just to do something new. No, I just want to say thank you to our online family for joining us. Thank you to you guys who are in the room. It's awesome that we've got people in the lobby. We've got people everywhere, and we praise Jesus for that. And so I'm starting in the box because um, the thing about following Jesus or being a Christian or really kind of whatever language you want to put around that is it's easy to put Jesus in a box. Hey, we're here at the 1115 gathering. This is my box. Now, when I leave here and I go to lunch, what happened in this box has no bearing over whether or not or how well I tip my waiters and waitresses at lunch. Oh, yeah, we're going there already. Okay, just get ready. So I get back in my box, though, when I come to college night tonight. And then I get back out when I'm making plans for what to do after college night. It's so easy for us to just put God in a box. And, you know, this is when I spend time with Jesus. This is my community group. If you're unfamiliar with community groups, most of them meet in homes. And the point is that we have people who are with us as we are embracing the journey of following Jesus, who are with us as we're diving into the Word. So I'm in my community group, but then, you know, when I leave there and when I'm mad at my friend, I'm not going to worry about what happened in community group. I'm going to deal with my friend and this relational conflict. Now, some of us, we're going for extra credit because we've got our box, and then what we did is we upgraded. We're like, come on, I'm like holy and a super Christian because I have a bigger box, and honestly, my box is just bigger than some of yours. So the thing about it is, you know, not only am I in community group, not only am I here at the 1115 gathering or watching, but also I serve on a team. Also, I went to Serve Saturday at Stewart yesterday. Also, I'm going through the Knowing Jesus Project in Matthew and I'm reading the Bible on my own. But then when I read in Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, that doesn't have any bearing on the fact that I walk out and then gossip about people at work and spread division instead of being a peacemaker. You know, that's that's separate. In fact, if we could just kind of close this up, Jesus, because you're kind of staring at me and it's awkward, and I just want to be able to decide what I'm going to do with my career. And I just want to be able to decide how I'm going to treat my spouse when we're in an argument. I just want to decide how I'm going to navigate it when my kids are going crazy. You know, and then I will come back and mm, I'll pray some prayers and I'll get with some people and I'll even raise my hands when the song builds. But Jesus, you're just going to stay in this box. You know, the reality is we're in a series called The King. And the whole point of the fact that Jesus is the king is that Jesus is saying this He wants us to know that it's time for us to get rid of the boxes. That when it comes to Jesus, there's absolutely no room for boxes because if he's the king, then he reigns over it all. The point of him being the king is that he's gonna literally invade every single area of our lives and he won't stop until he has. So what we wanna do is invite his invasion. So today is a big invitation to get rid of the box. Or maybe, and by the way, we're so passionate about this, our production team is literally getting rid of the boxes. Come on, Ben. Thank you for helping us live this out. We're done with them. Get it out of here. So if you're interested in getting rid of the box and letting Jesus invade everything, then Matthew 5 through 7, we're going to be today, it's for you. And it's for you even if you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you're like my friend 
who says, I'm not going to follow Jesus until I'm ready to go all in. And honestly, I respect that because what Jesus expects of all of his followers is to go all in because he is the king, not a king. And as we said last week, there is no co-kingship with Jesus. That there's no box, there's no areas of our lives that are off limits to him. So what does it look like to let the king invade? every area of our lives. That's what we're talking about today. This is part two of our series called The King. And this is not just a Sunday conversation. This is an everyday exploration because the invitation is for us to read through the eyewitness account called Matthew on our own. In fact, if you're in the room, all you have to do is scan the QR code on your seat. If you're online, just download our public church app, go to the Knowing Jesus Project, and we have laid out a plan and a strategy to not just read Matthew, but to live the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus in Matthew. So that's the invitation for all of us. And I just want to invite us, maybe if one of your boxes is just the 1115 gathering, that a way to get rid of the box is to say, okay, I'm actually going to read through Matthew on my own. And that is an invitation whether or not you've ever read the Bible. In fact, one of my prayers for this series is that someone who has never read a full eyewitness account of Jesus' life would read through all of Matthew. And that's just a little way that we can get rid of a box and invite him to be the king. Or if you're considering him as king, a little way that you can explore him on your own. So I'm excited about that. As I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And just a little context before we go there. This is the greatest talk ever, in my opinion. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount. One of the church fathers, Augustine, was the first to coin it um, by giving it this title. And he called it that because Jesus is on a mountain and he sits down and gives a talk. I mean, brilliant. Sometimes the most obvious creative answer is just the the most creative answer is the most obvious one. Thank you, Augustine, for that. But what's happening that we need to understand is that it's very likely that Jesus is walking around and saying these things more than once. This isn't like they got on the side of a mountain, set up a film crew, had the camera come, and then broadcast this thing all over the world. This is the fact that Jesus is walking around everywhere, and he's saying these things over and over and over again because he wants people to understand the type of kingdom that he is introducing. In fact, as you do the Knowing Jesus Project, see speaking in faith there, that we would do that, and you go to the app, I encourage you to take some time and read through the overview that was written by Pastor Horia Pope. He's a lead pastor of Atel Baptist in Chernovoda, Romania, a church we partner with. And one of the things that Horia points out is that the phrase kingdom of heaven is repeated 32 times. And the word kingdom is repeated 50 times in the book of Matthew. If you're reading the other eyewitness accounts, know that kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. So it's important that we understand that when Matthew mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, here's what he means. He means a place and people where God reigns. It's not just about us as individuals and reigning inside our lives. It's also about environments and places in our world where Jesus is reigning and where things are happening the way Jesus wants them to reign because he is the king and he is sovereign over it all. And we want to invite him to show us how he really wants things done. So as we look at Matthew 5 through 7, this is functionally Jesus' inaugural address. Like he is announcing the kingdom. He's saying, I am the king, and here's what it looks like to submit to my kingship. Here's what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. And we're not going to start at the beginning. We'll get there in just a moment. We're going to begin with something that's probably familiar to you, 
even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you've not read the Bible, which is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And this is going to help us understand the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now understand, it's not about reciting these words, although a whole lot of us have probably recited these before an athletic event and then we lost. We're like, Jesus, we prayed, your prayer. Like, why didn't we win? Anyway, um, but it's about a framework, a template for how to pray. Jesus is letting us know that we can call God our father. Now perhaps you don't like your dad. Perhaps you never had a dad. Please do not judge God as our father based on our experiences on earth. He is our perfect heavenly father, and he's better than anything we could ever imagine. And one of the reasons Jesus says we can call him our father is he wants us to understand that we can have a relationship with him. He's not your father or their father. He's our father. Our Father, who is in heaven. Heaven just means the abode of God, the place where God reigns. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word means holy, set apart, unrivaled. That as we pray, we need to acknowledge that, yes, he's our Father, and we can relate to him through relationship, but he's also unrivaled in all the universe. And when it comes to his name and who he is, no other being even begins to deserve to be in the same book as him, definitely not in the same chapter. He's so far above it all, and yet he wants to know us. Isn't that amazing? Our Father, who is in heaven, holy, unrivaled, hallowed is your name. And then your kingdom, your kingdom come. May the reign of God come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to stop there because the familiarity of it could trip us up. We want to make sure we understand that these are not just words to say. This is a lifestyle to embrace. That Jesus did not just pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. No, when he walked around and he saw somebody blind, he's like, you know what? There's no blindness in heaven, so I'm going to restore that person's sight. Ultimately, it led him to the cross where he realized, you know what? In heaven, there is no separation from God. There's nothing hindering us from God. But right now, sin blocks us from God, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So Jesus did what we couldn't do. He died on the cross, and he paid the price for our sins so we could be connected with God so that what was happening in heaven could be happening on earth, that we could have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, pray this. But we need to understand these are not just words to say. This is a lifestyle to embrace. So what does it look like to pray your kingdom come as a lifestyle? Drop down with me to Matthew 6, verse 32. We're picking up right after Jesus has just done this brilliant aside talking about lilies and clothes, and it's just amazing, and birds, and he says this, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Little definition here, pagans are just people that Don't understand that God is holy and unrivaled. They're people that aren't yet following Jesus. And what are the pagans doing? They're running after these things. In the context, if we could summarize these things in one word, we would say materialism. That they're concerned with their stuff. They're concerned with, I gotta have this, and I gotta get this job, and I gotta get to this. And in the New Living Translation, it says, these things dominate their thoughts. 
So as you rolled into the 1115 today, what's dominating our thoughts? Is it materialism? Is it our stuff? Is it our career? Is it a relationship? Because here's what Jesus says should be dominating our thoughts. He says this in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his way, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, instead of being preoccupied with materialism and letting that be the king in our lives, let's let Jesus be the king and let's be consumed with his kingdom. Now, we need to understand when he says all these things will be added to you, he's speaking to people who are basically in abject poverty or on the verge of poverty. I mean, these are people living in an environment where food is scarce. So what he's not saying is, hey, guys, if we will just seek Jesus, then you're going to move from that 600-square-foot apartment to that 6,000-square-foot dream home. Come on, somebody who wants to follow Jesus today. That is not what he is saying. But he's pointing us back to the fact that we pray to God as our Father. And he's saying, our Father knows what we need. So let's seek the King. Let's let the King have the sh call the shots in our lives. Let's be a part of bringing his kingdom to earth, and let's know that as we do so, our Father knows what we need even better than we do, and he will take care of us. And then he says this really challenging line. He says this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What if we just live that out, Jesus followers? Now, I know that some of us are more predispositioned to worry than others. But what if we began to not just pray your kingdom come, but to let his kingdom come by beginning to overcome worry through the power of the Holy Spirit in us? And if you don't follow Jesus, when we surrender to Jesus, his spirit literally moves inside of us. So we're not operating out of our own strength. We're being filled with the strength, the resurrection power of Jesus. So what if two years from now, just imagine with me, what if two years from now, your friend came up to you and said, you know what, in 2022, you were dominated by worry. You couldn't even enjoy the moment because you were so consumed with all the things that might happen. But now, two years later, I still see you struggling with worry, but you're different. You can be in the moment. It's no longer dominating your thoughts. And you say, that's because Jesus is king over my worry. And that's because I've been praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as is in heaven. And that means in my life. And the box that I used to live in, I threw it away and I'm letting him invade my anxiety. And part of it is that every morning I wake up and I just read and utilize Matthew 6, 32 through 34 like a mantra to set my mind on the fact that I can pray to my father and my father knows what I need. That's what it looks like for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the big idea today. We pray for the kingdom, we live for the king. We pray for the kingdom and we live for the king. That's what Jesus wants us to understand as he is announcing the kingdom of God. So now back to Matthew chapter five as we start. And we're starting with what's called the Beatitudes. And look, we have to understand this. The Beatitudes are not observations about how the world is. Because it's gonna, we're gonna read, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we can all probably think of people throughout the world who are mourning and not being comforted. Jesus is not looking at the world and saying, hey guys, I just wanna let you know how things are. He's saying, let me let you know how things 
will be in my kingdom. Let me announce to you what it looks like when I am in charge. And theologians call this the already but not yet paradox of the kingdom of God. That as Jesus showed up and announced the kingdom here, that it is here and it is among us and we can get glimpses of the kingdom. But not yet or do we experience its fullness because one day Jesus is going to return and he will set up the fullness of his kingdom where this is happening everywhere because he will reign. So here's what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we look at this, every one of these could be like a 10-minute or a 30-minute talk. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do that. But man, today's an appetizer. Like, I just wanna whet your appetite so that you, even if you've never read the Bible, like you go home and you're like, I gotta read this. If Jesus really said this, I've got to get in his word and see what he actually says. So the appetizer is to also say, as you're doing that, check some other translations. Because in the message paraphrase, here's how this verse is written. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Because what this is talking about is spiritual inadequacy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that there's nothing we can do to get to God on our own. That we are rebellious against God. And our only hope is Jesus. Matt Moore, who's spoken here a couple times this semester, a great friend of mine, he taught me this whole idea of blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope, that a lot of times we think when it's bad, like we realize we're at the end of our rope. Matt said, we need to understand, spiritually, we are always at the end of our rope. We are always in desperate need of Jesus and unable to come through for ourselves. And then the next verse builds off this and says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yes, this is speaking of grieving, but contextually, it's also speaking of mourning because of our sin. That we're mourning because we realize how far from God we are. We're mourning because we realize our spiritual inadequacy and come on somebody, Jesus died on the cross and the comfort comes from the fact that we can have salvation and we can be restored and we can be forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because he dealt with our sin for us. So the mourners... People who are broken over their sin, they will be comforted through the cross of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Guys, if, if we could talk for just a minute, guys. Sometimes we can read verses like this, and we can be like, okay, so if I'm going to follow Jesus, I just got to be like passive and get run over and meek equals weak. Look, look, in the Greek language, the word picture here is of a stallion. A stallion with all its strength that has been trained. So that way that stallion is not using its strength to just do everything and create destruction, but that stallion has been trained so the strength can be utilized for good. Men, that's the image God has for us. That we are strong and that he is using our strength for good so that our strength is not used to destroy people and destroy relationships and blow up on people, but our strength is used to build up other people, to come through for them. Because we're following Jesus and he came through for us and he's made us to come through for other people too. So blessed are the meek. Blessed are those with their strength under control for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they, they will be filled. This word righteousness in the Greek in some of your translations it says justice. Some of them it says righteousness. It's kind of a dual meaning. It kind of means both. 
And so know this, if you walked in today, if you tuned in today and you're like, man, I'm hungry for justice. I'm looking at a world full of injustice and I don't know where to turn. Let me tell you, turn to the king. Turn to the kingdom of God. Because the end of this says, for they will be filled. The, the image is as a cow that's been fattened before it gets slaughtered. Now, we're not saying Jesus is going to slaughter us, but we're saying Jesus can satisfy us. Those soul-level desires for justice, he can satisfy us. And here's what my friend Tony Miles taught me, and this is what's beautiful about the fact that this word really means righteousness and justice, that if you have justice, justice without righteousness, without the ways of God, that justice is unsustainable. Think about it. If you bring justice into a situation, but you don't bring the right way of God following behind it, you've left a vacuum, and guess what's going to fill that vacuum? More injustice. It is unsustainable. That's why I love the Word of God. That's why only God can satisfy our desires for righteousness and justice. They go together. Tim Keller talks about this. They're married in the Old Testament, that we need to trust that God will bring justice, and then His righteousness, His right way, will sustain it. So if you're hungry for that, Jesus will fill you. The way of Jesus will satisfy you. He goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This whole idea that I'm not going to sit back and ask you, be merciful to me, be merciful to me. No, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take the initiative and I'm going to be merciful to you. And I'm going to trust that my Father in heaven, he knows what I need. And as I'm merciful to you, he will supply the mercy that I need. The next one says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm just wondering. Are you struggling seeing God? Are you going to the word and it's just fuzzy and it's unclear and you can't even quite figure out how God wants you to live it out? If that's the case, here's the question. A question that was asked several years ago in a talk I was listening to that has changed my life. The question is this, is there impurity blocking our vision of God? Because this says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And when we are tolerating impurity in our lives, it's like this. No wonder we don't know what the word means. No wonder we can't figure out how to live it out. No wonder we don't know what God wants us to do in this situation. No wonder we can't see clearly how to navigate this relationship because impurity is blocking us. But through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, when we begin to submit our purity to, his, to him as our king and we begin to put up guardrails and accountability so that way we don't fall off the edge, accountability stops us from getting to the edge, then our eyes will be open because blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If we have a vision problem, let's check our purity and this is something we pray over our boys as we're raising two young boys that are going to grow up into a world probably worse in this area than we're even navigating we pray over them and they understand that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God we protect their purity so they can have vision to know who God wants them to be and what he wants them to do blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God we're going to come back to this one Blessed not are the peacekeepers who shove things under the rug and have false peace and act like it's okay, but blessed are those who are actively creating peace. They're going to be called the sons and daughters of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of my actions was a reminder to restart praying for the persecuted church because I've let that slip. We may not be facing persecution here in America, but all over the world, the international church is being persecuted. So I've been challenged to pray for them, to restart that, because it says there's a place for them in the kingdom of heaven. God's got them. Whew, just an appetizer. 
And as you go through and read this on your own this week and dive in, know that a lot of this is connected. In fact, if we want to know what it looks like to be a peacemaker, we just need to go down to verse 21, and Jesus is going to give some commentary on that as he says this, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, pause, that word basically means you are brainless and incapable of living successfully. I have thought that about people, just full confession here. So if you say that, you're answerable to the core and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Time out, Jesus. I thought we shouldn't have to kill anybody, right? Like I'm good if I don't kill anybody and Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you're angry and you're not dealing with that, it's just like you've already murdered them. This is the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, this is the kingdom of heaven. Why did he tell us this? He loves us so much. The word picture here that we probably missed that his audience would have gotten very graphically is when he talks about the fires at the end of it, they would have thought about the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna, a place where the fire never went out. And what Jesus is saying to them is if we let anger control us, it will eventually consume us and the result will be scorched earth. Scorched relationships, scorched, scorching ourselves. So no, don't, don't let anger control you. Don't tolerate it and go, I didn't kill anybody today. I just yelled at people. No, no, no. There's a better way, the way of the kingdom. And so here's what Jesus says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, I think, my opinion, that when Jesus said this, somebody in the crowd laughed out loud. I think when he said this, they were like, <laughs> we knew he's crazy. He's lost it. What? That's a good joke. What's the punchline, Jesus? Because he's speaking to people who are in Galilee, which is a three-day journey to Jerusalem. So when he said this, here's what they knew, that if they were going to take their gift to the temple, that means they had to save their money so they could travel for three days, probably by foot, to Jerusalem, and they've gotten into Jerusalem, They've bought an animal to sacrifice and they're standing in line at the temple to sacrifice their animal. And then they remember, oh yeah, the guy at work has something against me and we never worked it out. And Jesus says, if you remember that, then leave your live animal in the temple. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Go three days back to Galilee, make it right with your colleague and then come back three more days to Jerusalem and try to find your live animal so that you can make a sacrifice to God. This is laughable, but here's what Jesus wants us to understand, that in the kingdom of God, reconciliation takes precedence over even worship. He's saying, man, if you walked into the 1115 and you have unresolved conflict in your life, then we need to send a text. We need to set up a meeting. We're gonna take communion later. And what it means is that maybe instead of taking communion in this moment, we need to take this and we need to grab one for our friend. And we need to have that lunch meeting on Wednesday that we've been put, putting off. And after that lunch meeting, we're gonna say, hey, now that we're reconciled and we're back, can we take communion together? That's the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful we don't have to do this in our own strength? got the Holy Spirit inside of us. Otherwise, this would be impossible. And Jesus, when you're like, okay, chill, Jesus, he just goes even further. 
as he says this. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. When Jesus said to get rid of the boxes, he really meant to get rid of the boxes. I mean, this sounds absolutely crazy. But here's what Jesus is saying. If Wesley and I are at it, and we're literally going to court against each other, like there's money on the line, we're gonna sue each other. Then what I need to do as a Jesus follower is say to Wesley, hey bro, court stops at, starts at seven or at nine, I'll pick you up at 7.30 and we'll have breakfast on the way there. Who does this? Like we're suing each other, so let's go have breakfast ahead of time. That's what I'm talking about. While you're going together, settle quickly. And that word means settle. It means that as I am spending time with Wesley, that I move from my viewpoint and I walk over here and begin to see things from his viewpoint. And no matter my feelings, I look at his perspective favorably in an effort to reconcile. This is impossible without the strength of Jesus. But this is what the kingdom of God would look like. Imagine if we just did this in our marriages. Imagine if we're in an argument with our spouses, instead of just digging in our heels and putting Jesus in the box, imagine we threw out the box and said, I'm gonna walk over here and I'm gonna see this argument from your perspective and I'm gonna look at your perspective favorably in order to bring reconciliation. The message paraphrase gets even harder, it says, and make the first move. Ah, really? Yeah, make the first move, it's just what Jesus' followers do. When we're praying for the kingdom and we're living for the king. And Jesus goes on and lest we think he's gonna leave an area out, he goes from prayer and then he goes to fasting and that transition makes sense. They move from prayer to fasting, which is denying ourselves in order to focus on God. And then he goes from fasting to finances and we're like, whoa, ho, ho, wait a second. Finances, how do you go from fasting to finances? Because Jesus knows this that when we've denied ourselves to focus on God, now we can approach our finances with God's mindset. And we're not gonna look at it all, but lest we think there's one area that's undisturbed by King Jesus, there are no areas because he says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. The word there is mammon, which means possessions, and they would have used that word as if it was a God. Because Jesus knows, especially in our culture, it would be so easy for possessions, for materialism, for greed to become the boss of us, to become our king. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the king. And he invades every area. And so then Jesus lands the plane in Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 27. One more thought about the finances before we get there. Just to make it even more uncomfortable, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus used this phrase. He said, and when you give. Oh, really? In other words, generosity is inescapable for Jesus' followers. He doesn't say, if you think you're going to give and you get to a place where you give, no, no. And when you give. Because Jesus is king over every area, including how we steward our stuff. And so he lands the plane by saying this in verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, we're gonna say that phrase together, puts them into practice, ready, go. Puts them into practice, say it one more time. Puts them into practice. So if we get in Matthew 5 through 7 this week, if we walk out of this 1115 gathering and we put into practice the words of Jesus, here's the result. We are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The message, not on the screen, just listen to this. These words that I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. Jesus is saying, if we wanna pray for the kingdom and live for the king, we got to live this out. Like this is the foundation. There's no options here. It's not like on Wednesday when it's convenient. No, it's like all the time. This is what he's asking of us, what he's really demanding of us. And then he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Again, the message says, if you just use my words in Bible studies, lean in. If you just use my words, the 1115 gathering. If you just use my words when you're reading through Matthew chapter six on Monday morning before work. If you just use my words in community group and don't work them into your life, we're fools. And what we're setting ourselves up for is a crash. And our Father who knows what we need doesn't want our lives to come crashing down. Because if we build on any other foundation than Jesus, there will be a storm one day that we will not be able to withstand. But if we seek first the kingdom, if we pray your kingdom come and we live for the king, then we can withstand any storm because come on, it is not our strength. It is the power of Jesus inside of us. So to end this talk the way Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount, very practically, was a practical way, a practical step for us to pray for the kingdom and live for the king. What is a practical step to pray for the kingdom and live for the king? I wanna encourage you to wrestle with that. And we're gonna give some space to think through that as we take communion. In my opinion, the best way to end this talk, this appetizer of the Sermon on the Mount is to remember that none of this is possible if Jesus hadn't died on the cross and rose from the dead. <laughs> The only way for us to even enter the kingdom and to live for the king is because Jesus died and he rose again. So communion is an opportunity for us to remember that. If you are in the room and you wanna reach in the seat in front of you, you can find one of these if you wanna go ahead and grab it. If you're watching online, if we're connected with you, we contacted you about getting you supplies. If you didn't hear from us, we wanna know you. Email katie at publicchurch.com so we can connect with you and get this to you next time. But communion is this ancient practice, and, and what we do is we take the bread. We remember that Jesus' body was, was crushed for us. He was tortured for us. In just a little bit, as we're going to take the juice, we're reminded that Jesus spilled his blood for us. You know, scientifically, life comes from blood. Spiritually, our life, our ability to live for the king comes from the fact that Jesus shed his blood for us. So what communion is, is it's an act of remembrance of looking back, but it's also an act of vision. 
It's an act of looking forward to that day when Jesus returns and he establishes the fullness of the kingdom because in that day there's going to be a great feast. And we got a little bitty piece of bread, a little bitty piece of juice. But in that day, all of our soul level desires will be satisfied as we experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. So yes, we're looking back. We're also looking forward to that day. And we're taking communion today with Battelle Baptist Church in Chernovoda, Romania. Our partner church, they are also taking communion today. And as we do this together, we are standing in solidarity for the refugees that are living in their houses, that are living in their church building, that are living in the nonprofit they partner with, the Ukrainian refugees that they are being the hands and feet of Jesus to. We are taking communion for the Ukrainians and the Russians whose lives are being devastated by the ongoing tragedy in Ukraine. As we take communion today, we're remembering that about half the New Testament was written by a converted terrorist named Paul. And so I'm trying to remind myself through the power of the Holy Spirit that if Jesus could convert Paul, then he could even convert Putin. And so we pray that no matter how evil someone is, how tyrannical they are, they are not beyond the reach of Jesus. And if Jesus chooses not to, he's still sovereign. He's still the king and we're still gonna trust him. And he is the God who suffered. And so he knows what everyone is feeling and enduring and he is with them. So we take communion today, remembering the cross and remembering that it's bigger than us. So when you're ready, peel this top off, drink this. If you don't follow Jesus, know that this is a practice for Jesus followers. So the step I would encourage you to take is to go back to the prayer corner and to talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus. And you could repent for the first time and follow Jesus today and then take communion as a Jesus follower. What an incredible day that would be. So for all of us, whatever you need to do, go back to the prayer corner. Know that public worship is gonna lead us in, in three songs just to give us an extended time to reflect as we do this. So take your time, there's no rush. And the first song is literally Matthew 5. <laughs> so we're just gonna be singing scripture as we pray, Jesus, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social medias at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of public church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting public church in all caps and no space to 77977. Again, thanks for listening. 